is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Today, a major Russian warship damaged Ukraine, taking credit for the attack. And we check back in with a Ukrainian woman who had to flee with her family from an area currently controlled by the Russians. We start with what's being called a major blow to Russia's military. The flagship of the country's Black Sea fleet badly damaged, forcing the crew to evacuate. Ukraine saying they did this. Russian officials disputing it. We're learning the ship sank as it was being towed back to port. Stephen Pfeiffer, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. I spoke with him along with my colleague Rob Archer. Uh, Stephen, what do you know about what happened to this warship? Uh, you know, what the Russians said was that there was a fire which then detonated some ammunition on board, but the uh, Russians have not yet explained how that fire broke out. And the Ukrainians say that it actually, uh, what started the fire were uh, hits by two of their Neptune anti-ship missiles. If this uh, is a big uh, hit on this ship and if it's heavily damaged, this is a, a big win for the Ukrainians for a couple of reasons, right? Number one, it's the flagship of, of Russia's Black Sea fleet, so big target to try and take. And number two, this was one of the ships that became famous uh, weeks ago when the uh, they told the Ukrainians to surrender and the Ukrainians told them to go blank themselves. That, that's correct. No, I think this is a big moral victory, uh, morale victory for the uh, Ukrainians. Um, and it also, I think, sends a message to the Russians who probably thought that they could be very comfortable in the Black Sea. Uh, They have the uh, Ukrainian Navy to the extent that's a very small Navy bottled up. Uh, But now I think uh, the Russians may know that they uh, need to be a little bit more careful. Uh, Putin recently appointed a new general to take over the war in Ukraine, and there was uh, reports that they were going to ramp up their attacks in the east. Have we seen any movement on the ground that would indicate this new general is making any changes to their tactics? Yeah. Well, what happened? I mean, the original Russian objective seemed to be to take Kiev and occupy perhaps as much as two thirds of eastern Ukraine. Uh, and the Russian military failed to do that. They have now withdrawn all of their forces from near Kiev, and they appear to be moving some of those forces to reposition for an attack in eastern Ukraine around Donbass. Uh, and that is the expectation is that the next Russian offensive action will be in that area. We have sent or are sending another $800 million in aid, weapons, ammunition, other security assistance. But the Pentagon saying they are mindful that there is a ticking clock right before this big battle is when the Ukrainians are going to need that stuff. What are the chances that it actually gets there in time? Well, my understanding is that the Pentagon has put in place some procedures to get stuff fairly quickly to Ukraine. And uh, I'm sure that they are mindful of the timeline uh, and, and of the need to get things to the Ukrainians as quickly as possible. Now, now, some of the weapon systems that they announced yesterday may require a bit of training, so that may slow it up a little bit. But I think the Pentagon plan is to try to bring some Ukrainians out of Ukraine, train them so that they can then train other Ukrainians on how to use that equipment. There are some rumblings that uh, Finland and Sweden may join NATO. Uh, how will and will that upend uh, how Russia is responding to uh, what's going on? Well, I think this is, again, there have been lots of unintended consequences of the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine. uh, And it looks like it has persuaded both Finland and Sweden that uh, their security interests are best served by membership in NATO. And so the Russians have been making some threats today. They threatened that they might have to move nuclear weapons into the Baltic region. There actually are a lot of Russian nuclear weapons already quite close to the Baltic region. Um, But I think from NATO's perspective, 
the addition of Finland and Sweden, which you know should be a fairly swift process if in fact they do apply because they check all the boxes, established democracy, credible military capabilities, and civil, con- civil control of both the military and the security services. But that would also dramatically improve from NATO's perspective of the security situation around the Baltic region. Wars don't usually end on the battlefield. They usually end at the negotiating table. How do these two sides get to that table and actually have something concrete that they can both at least be okay with? Yeah, here's the real problem there is that if you look at their two positions, there doesn't seem to be much overlap. Now, President Zelensky of Ukraine, for several weeks now, he has been talking about he wants to get into a negotiation. And there have been meetings between Russian and Ukrainian officials. But um, the and the Ukrainians have actually put forward some compromise ideas. They've you know tried to respond to the Russian demand, for example, that Ukraine in the future be a neutral state and give up its NATO ambitions. Unfortunately, however, you've seen actually no real movement by the Russians. The Russians seem to be sticking with their maximalist demands, so there really isn't much basis for a fruitful negotiation. And it looks like, for now anyway, Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin hope to decide this on the battlefield. Stephen Pfeiffer, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, now Brookings Institution and Center for International Security and Cooperation. Short break, and then we check in with a woman who escaped an area currently occupied by the Russians, escaping with her family. Though Russia has fallen short of its goals in the war so far, the troops have managed to take over some parts of Ukraine. Sofia is from one of those areas in southern Ukraine. She and her family had to make an escape as the troops were looking for her dad, who they called an enemy of the Russian people, for serving in the Ukrainian army. I spoke to her along with Rob as well. Uh, Sofia, what was that experience like? Yeah, uh, hello, good day. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Well, uh, actually, we left Berdyansk on March 25th at 6 a.m. and we arrived uh, in Zaporizhia, this is unoccupied uh, territory, on February 27th. Um, normally, this road takes about two hours, but we drove two days because uh, the Russian military checkpoints were every... Um, Every eight to ten kilometers, I guess it's every five miles. Uh, so basically, uh, they were very active in checking our car, looking in the trunk, uh, through our stuff under the seats, uh, and uh, if they if they didn't uh, didn't like something, they were just uh, setting up a gun, threatening to uh, to people. I had to, you know, I had to pick up, uh, uh, they were checking phones, so I had to, uh, took my old, uh, you know, kind of like push button phone, so they wouldn't, uh, took it from me. Uh, and, uh, our, uh, our phones, we hide in our clothes because if they saw anyone's phone with a camera, they just, uh, they could check the photos, social networks, and, so just before leaving, I deleted all the social networks, WhatsApp, Telegram, Instagram, Facebook, everything. So to keep uh, to keep me safe and to keep my family safe, because I got know where they could find over there. Um, and they uh, Russians, they very uh, they were very hard on checking, especially men. Uh, and my younger brother is 15. Uh, but it seems to them that he might be some kind of military man or something. Uh, he was forced to undress in order to check if he had any tattoos with the symbols of Ukraine. They actually uh, forced old men to um, 
and to take their shirts and to and they have looked through them and check if they have any tattoos or something uh, with the Ukrainian symbolic. Uh, they were they are especially afraid of our heroes uh, from uh, Azov uh, regiments, uh, so they were uh, also looking for some of their uh, symbols. And is that why that they were looking for your dad's? earlier on because he's a war veteran right i think we spoke before maybe yeah. maybe about a month ago uh, and you were concerned yeah, you for know, him then yeah sure uh, he's now in army but actually last friday russians came to my father's company then to my older brother's uh company my father has a some kind of self-service car wash business uh older brother has one of the largest enterprises in Berdyansk for the production of, of flour and tiles uh, and, uh, you know, there, um, well, we understand that we have local traitors, local pro-Russian people in Berdansk. Uh, some of them even were in Ukrainian police, unfortunately. And they, uh, told the Russians everything about that my father fought, uh, fought in Russian, uh, fought Russians in, uh, in Eastern Ukraine in 2014-2015. And uh, that he organized pro-Ukrainian rallies in Berdansk and so on. My brother uh, is less involved in politics, but he also has a strong pro-Ukrainian position. And so when Russians came to his company, they took a handout on uh, his colleagues. They threatened to shoot uh, their children. They also knew, I mean, Russians also knew all the information about uh, my brother's uh, colleagues. And they said that my family... Uh, we are the enemies of Russian people. So basically, it means they. Uh, it means that we must be killed. That's why, I guess, we left just in time because uh, it's actually quite horrifying. I guess if we left there, they would just kidnap us, and God knows what they would done. Uh, before you mm -hmm. left, had you heard any of the stories that have been circulating about uh, Russian troops uh, systematically rounding up uh, Ukrainian civilians and executing them and uh, some of the other yeah. atrocities that we've heard about? And was that in your mind? And, and, and how did you manage to, to move on dealing with that much fear? Uh, it's pretty hard, but you, you have to do what you have to do. We we know that we are fighting for our country, for our freedom. We have nowhere to go. There is no another Ukraine. I mean, that this is what we have to do. We have to survive in order in order to uh, build a great country, uh, and th that I guess that's what keeps us going. But actually, I, I have to say it's horrifying now in Berdansk because. Uh, currently, Russians are looting businesses. They are sending a lot of production to from Berdansk to, to Crimea, to the occupied territories of Donetsk and Lugansk uh, regions. Uh, they are said to have started raiding people's homes, looting civilians. There is little information now from Berdansk because they are trying to cut off any um any connections, but uh, after what happened in Bucha and in Kiev region, after, well, this is just genocide. So people understand that this may happen again in the South uh, Ukrainian regions, I mean, in Berdyansk as well, in Militopol. We heard that they brought mobile crematoria to Mariupol because they want to hide their war crimes and burn the bodies of civilians because after what happened in Bucha and the whole world saw 
the horror. Now they're, this is what they're doing, trying to hide it. And of course, people are scared and there are no words to describe it. So, yeah. What do you think happens over the next few days, few weeks with this, this major you know, battle that's expected for the East that, that could, yeah. be, could be the big one, basically? Uh, well, I'm not a military expert. I just, uh, I just know that Russians are quite, uh, they're quite determined to, um, to destroy Ukraine. And we, we don't know what to expect from them. We're just, you know, monitoring the situation, trying to analyze and make some uh, decisions. I, I think that, um, we all know that we're going to win here in Ukraine. We know that for sure. It's just a, it's just a matter of time. Uh, it, it's a matter of time, and it's, it's a question to uh, Western uh, civilization, to Western uh, politicians and to Western people as well, because um, we constantly say to Europe that we need an embargo for gas, for uh for all we need them to stop uh, uh paying russian and uh we need them to arm ukraine in order we do not ask you to come here and fight with us we are ready to fight russians and to stop this tyranny to stop this uh nazism racism whatever you call it ourselves but we need your help and i guess um it's just a matter of time. If uh, uh, Western politics, um, if they make quick decision and uh, arming Ukraine and supporting Ukraine, then uh, I guess we can say that this uh, we can end this in several months. But if we are to ask again and again to give us uh, some help. Then I, I'm afraid it's gonna uh, it's gonna last uh, much longer, like uh, it happened in 2014, and we were in a uh, we were in a war with Russia for eight years. It was it was not just this obvious maybe for someone, but we um, already fighting Russia for eight years successfully, and uh, we know we're gonna win because we're fighting for our homes, we're defending our families, our children, and they bring nothing but fear, horror, and uh, this just should not exist. Sophia, thank you so much for speaking to us again. We're glad you're in a, a much safer place. Ukraine's national soccer team had to postpone World Cup qualification matches when Russia invaded in February, but FIFA has announced those games will be played in June. Ukraine plays Scotland June 1st. If they win, they'd move on to play Wales four days later with a spot in the World Cup on the line. Ukraine has only made it to the World Cup once before. That was in 2006. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. Stitcher.